Welcome to Love That Album episode 90, this month Eric and Tim talk about two punk albums. First the post-punk tank. Small parts isolated and destroyed by no means no from 1988. Second the hard rock fueled, feel the darkness by poison idea from 1990. It's listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Two, one. Hello, 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 and welcome to Love That Album. Uh, yes, it is not actually Morris that's here. It's me, Eric, and I'm here with Tim. How you doing? And uh, Morris has asked me to uh, take over for the next two months so that uh, he can, uh, you know, have a little bit of a break and uh, kind of figure out some things. As in the past, I asked Tim to come on board and uh, do one of these episodes with me because we tend to do what? About one a year mm-hmm. together? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And as All always, uh, yeah, as always, I start like to start off by uh, asking Tim, you know, to, to match a record with something that I throw at him. And today we're going to be talking about, first, small parts isolated and destroyed by the band No Means No, and secondly, Feel the Darkness by the band Poison Idea. We're going to start now with the uh, No Means No record, released in 1988. So, Tim, uh, tell me about No Means No and why you picked this record. All right. Well... Canada, basically, you know, as large as the country is, there. when it comes down to uh, punk rock and alternative rock, whatever you want to call it there, there's only been really a handful of, of bands that really stood head and shoulders above the rest, you know, when it comes to uh, definitive Canadian punk rock. I mean, you can think of, of course, the legendary DOA, you've got SNFU, I mean, there's, you know, the Asexuals in Montreal, the Subhumans in Vancouver. You've got Teenage Head and Hamilton. You know, there was there was so many bands that, you know, came out of Canada. But, you know, the very few got that global recognition that they rightly deserve. But to me, there's one band that has always stuck, you know, tried and true to my heart and... I know this is kind of a big statement, but I would consider them, to me, to be probably the best Canadian band, head and shoulders, is no means no. They're a three-piece that came out of uh, Victoria, British Columbia. And my experience with no means no is kind of interesting because back in 1986, I was going to university in Ottawa, and I happened to be working at the radio station there. And there was a tour that came through, and it was No Means No with DOA headlining. So anyway, I'd never heard of No Means No. I had no idea who these guys were. 
And these three dudes get up there, and they basically look like, you know, just rocket scientists, you know, like geeky, skinny guys. With a drummer who actually set up his kit to the right side of the stage instead of the back. And the three of them, man, were just playing this amazing kinetic music that was closer to funk and closer to wire than it was and jazz than it was to really punk rock. And it blew my mind. And so then I found out that they had we were touring on this album Sex Mad and I picked up the vinyl for that. And from there on in, man, I, I was hooked. And then, you know, I continued to follow the career No Means No. And they put out a, a number of albums. And they were not the most, you know, uh, how can I say? They didn't put out the most albums, but the stuff that they put out was just profound. Every album that they, they continued a progression that was just sublime. I mean, you know, are you familiar, Eric, with uh, like the Mahavishnu Orchestra? I know the name. Okay. Well, if you can imagine, you know, like John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra being a punk band, that they... They embodied things, you know, that I'd never really heard before that could come together. Like I'm saying, like almost like angular funk, you know, the stuff, like I said, the stuff that Gang of Four was doing and Wire was doing, uh, you know, progressive jazz, a little bit of prog, like, but it was all danceable and it was so fluid and it was incredible. Like, I mean... You know the stuff that they played and the time changes and everything. It w- it was just it was just incredible. Anyway, to make a long story short, 1988, no means no drops, small parts isolated and destroyed. Now they were originally a three piece um, comprised of the brothers Wright, John and Rob Wright, and Andy mm-hmm. and Andy Kerr. And Andy was the singer along with uh, Rob Wright. And most of the uh, the prime era of No Means No was this album, Small Parts Isolated and Destroyed, and the album that would follow wrong. And also The Day Everything Became Nothing was another great one, too. But anyway, I saw No Means on this tour three times. And actually, they played a three-night stint in Toronto. And then I saw them the night before in Guelph. So I saw one of the three nights in Toronto, and then I saw them in Guelph. The incredible thing at the time was that they were touring with this opening act, this Dutch anarchist band called The X. And The X were absolutely just phenomenal, mind-blowing. Again, they were doing things I'd never thought possible with music, you know, like playing guitars with paint scrapers and, you know, doing percussion with drums with, like, little tin cans and the singer was singing through a little toy megaphone but it was all just integral part of what they were doing but it was just amazing and they were one of the few bands that i saw live that actually gave no means no a run for their money they're probably no means no are probably the the one canadian band that i've ever seen the most i mean every time they came through i i had to see them that was there's just no ifs ands or buts about it and another thing i want to say about no means no that's kind of interesting as well, is that these guys don't take them, they take themselves seriously, but they don't. And there's so many side projects of this band. For example, uh, they do a Ramones tribute band called the Hanson Brothers, where they actually dress up like the guys from Slapshot with, you know, the tape on the glasses mm-hmm. and the missing teeth. 
And they do songs about playing hockey and drinking beer. They rewrite all the Ramon stuff. Like, for example, Blitzkrieg Hops. Hey, you, let's brew, you know? <laughs> it's awesome. I, I do remember the Hanson brothers. I remember the, the hearing their records a couple times back right. in the 90s. And, and Rob Wright did a thing called Mr. Wrong, where he would actually tour as an opening act for some bands with just him and his bass. And you're thinking, how the hell would a guy with just a bass, you know, open up for anyone? Well, then obviously you haven't heard Rob Wright. I mean, on bass, this guy is just, I mean, he's kind of like the Jocko Pistorius of punk rock, and I shit you not. I mean, I, I put Rob Wright right alongside Mr. Mike Watt and, you know, just some of the most phenomenal bass players out there. I mean, this guy is just, you know, he's one of those dudes, when you hear him play, you know it's him. There's nobody else. There's nobody else that sounds like that, you know? Yeah, this... this Record definitely has a very strong bass to it, and I've always, oh. always believed that good punk rock needs to have a good strong bass line. Right, but I mean the way this guy plays bass, man. Like, here's the thing: I've always said that you know you're doing something right when there's never been a cover band of your band because there's some things that people just can't play. <laughs> you know, like you yeah. can you can do it. But there's just no way in hell anyone's going to try to just take that on, you know. And No Means No is one of those bands. I mean, you know, just to try to try to actually sit down and, 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 and kind of, you know, crank out even like, you know, a minute and a half of their time signatures is just, eh, it ain't going to happen, you know. But there's, yes. one, there's one band that kind of is almost like their brother band in the United States, and that's a band called Victim's Family. Oh, really? And Victim's Family are just that same kind of like punk funk, you know, stop on a dime. Going back to almost like the days of like the big boys, mm -hmm. you know, where they incorporated funk into punk and, you know, and just that really uh, awkward time structure. I definitely remember Victim's Family being around and um, having a, a buzz for a while in the underground. Mm -hmm. I, I don't recall ever really checking them out too much, though. Well, actually, I think Ralph Sprite, uh, the bass player, now is playing with uh, Jello with the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Not be surprised. Yeah. I think some of the guys from Victim's are, are playing with Jello now on his, uh, his current project. But anyways, let's get into this uh, album here. I mean, sure. This is this is an album, man, that one of my Desert Island discs. 
And, okay. And I have to say that between th- this album presents a bit of a conundrum to the fans because there's this album and then the album that followed this wrong. And there's always been this argument, which one's the best no means album, you know, like wrong or, or small parts. And for me, this is the album that gets me. I mean, I love wrong. It's an amazing record, you know, but I mean, oh, it, it's, it, you know, to me, they really too, they can't be separated. You know, I, I love both of them and it's hard to choose, man, but this is the one that really sings to me. All right. Well, uh, so let's let's get into the record. Is so uh, this was my first listen to this record. Uh-huh. I I had heard the name No Means No. Um, I, I knew that they were a Canadian punk rock band. I knew that they were part of a uh, an era of punk rock that that was. I mean, not not really getting a lot of exposure. And and you know, this record comes out in 1988, which you know is really kind of between that uh that fall off of of the the you know dead kennedy's uh black flag misfits era ending in the early 80s and then that era of the uh, early 90s where we see punk kind of make a resurgence so it, it's it's kind of in that that land where you know you, you have college rock going on and as you mentioned uh, i was thinking wire gang of four mission of burma those kind of post-punk bands when I was listening to this, I was also thinking like Butthole Surfers, Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, that kind of discordant, as you said, kind of more more jazzy, not necessarily your standard hardcore punk, you know, styling. Right. Uh, it reminded me of we had, we talked about the was it the cows last year? I'm sorry, just cows. Yeah, last year with that kind of discordant, jazzy, noisy punk that that uh, it's kind of hard for people to get into when they're expecting punk rock to either be somebody aping the Ramones or somebody aping the Stooges. Right. I mean, it's it's not as accessible as the, the standard three-minute pop song, which, uh, you know, that has its place, but sometimes you like something a little more challenging. And uh, one thing I noticed about this record is, you know, there was a couple songs that stand out and have a, a certain feel or groove, but this is definitely a record that that's about the experience of listening to it as a whole. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, here's a funny thing: is that you know you're talking about challenging music, and I mean that might put a lot of people off, and people may feel that this this is kind of you know like some type of abstract jazz, but it's not. I mean, I don't find this record difficult to listen to at all, and that's not because I'm a fan. I mean, I think what's really interesting is that, you know, they've managed to incorporate a lot of elements of jazz and progressive stuff into this. And at the same time, make it absolutely palatable to ears. I mean, you know, this was the kind of one thing I loved doing that I, you know, when I worked in a record store was I'd put on this album and I wouldn't say anything. And then people would start listening to this and all of a sudden they'd be like, what is this? What is it? I'm like, oh, this is no means no. Well, really? Oh man, this is good. You know, and I'm like, but I wouldn't say anything. And then after a while, people I wouldn't expect to, you know, like perk up, would just would just get on board with this, and they're just like, hey man, can you play that again? Or what was that album you were just playing? You know, and it's great when you when people are actually, you know, they don't have to really sit down and and work it out in their mind whether or not they like this. I mean, I think this this music is pretty direct. Almost oh, definitely. I I was thinking as I was listening to this, it, it when I say it's not as accessible, I mean it's not following that 
that kind of pop song structure. Right, but, it, it follows its own path. Yeah, definitely. But it was definitely listenable. It definitely doesn't have that abrasive, uh, noisy kind of uh, background that some uh, of uh, records of this type definitely have. And actually, I was thinking our, our buddy Chris, who uh, who's really into Faith No More, and uh, just recently discovered punk rock, right. that this is one of the records that I would definitely give him to say, hey, you would probably like this. Is there any of the, the, the tracks in particular that, that you uh, have any thoughts on? Oh, absolutely. You know, some of the lyrics, man, in this album are, are really prophetic. And it, it's just insane. Like, for example, Dark Ages, like the opening track. I mean, there's... Uh, some of the things that it just spooks me when I when I hear the songs now and I realize, you know, that they're over like 20 some odd years old. Like, for example, there's lines. We are living in the dark ages, haven't seen some daylight in what seems ages. All the information is locked far beyond, locked in circuits and bathed in silicon. A world of half truths. What goes unspoken? Lines of communication are stripped down and broken. It's just there, there's you know, all the power trippers receive facelifts and the button pushers all work night shifts and the misdemeanors seem so ghastly while the media punch is so lasting. I mean, holy shit, man. Like some of this is just, yeah, you know, nothing has changed. It's, it's just like what they're singing about is like people basically, you know, frozen in ember in a system, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, it definitely has a uh, lyrically, at least, a, a very cyberpunk feel to it. Oh yeah, but it's not. So, but it's. It, it, but it's now. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, we we are living in a you know dystopia of technology in some ways. Right. I, I always like to say that the the apocalypse came and went because, and just nobody noticed because you can go to the mall and you can see plenty of zombies and mutants wandering around. Oh sure, sure. I sure. mean, it's it's and it's it's a fight for survival. Right. So I. I, I I keyed in on uh, a couple of the songs. One is Teresa, give me that knife. Oh yeah, I got I gotta wonder if that's a. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll make the bad pun. Is that a stab at the uh, the Naz Nomad and the Nightmares album? Cindy, give me the knife. It could be a possibility. You know, which is of course for those who don't know is is the Damned doing right. uh, '60s garage rock covers. Right, right. Uh, so that one, and then Real Love, which is almost ten minutes long. And really does have a little bit of a classic rock kind of feel to it. Real Love is my probably one of my favorite songs, man, because that song is just so fucking epic. I mean, when they open up at the end of that, you know, it it, it's just, it starts off so quietly. And mm-hmm. it's, almost, it's almost like a storm, that song. Yeah. Because it starts off so just kind of mild and timid, and it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And then when Rob Wright has that bass, there's that one point where his bass just like, doom, 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 boom, real love. You know, and it just, holy shit, like, yeah.
It's just amazing. I mean, I don't I can't even put it into put it into words. I mean, it's just it's just amazing how this song opens up and then it just it's like lightning. It's just by the end it's just so raw and it's so untethered. And then by the very end of the song, they bring it back around again to the beginning where it's soft again and it's mild again. And it's just I love that. I love how they just take you on this ten minute trip, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it goes right into the song Lonely. So it's right. inter- interesting that a song called Real Love is followed by a song called Lonely, as if that's, that's almost the comment on, right. Right. on, on how, how things go. And the other one that I, I, I really stands out for me, actually, well, I mean, the definitive title track, Small Parts Isolated and Destroyed, you know, incredible song in itself. And just the way that, you know, these guys just... They're so fucking demented. This is like, it's almost like circus music at one point, you know, where they're they're just yeah. so herky, herky jerky back and forth, and you can tell that these guys are just all on the same page. The way that they can just you know intermix the bass with the guitar with the drum, like it just it's just so fluid. The way that these guys play, it's just phenomenal, you know. And I think, you know, for, for all those people out there that are Rush fanatics, mm-hmm. you could say that that's the same way, that's the same thing that people say about Rush. You know, how the three of them just are so, like, you know, like the the three-headed monster. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, they're all, they're all on that same groove, and it's, it's just unbelievable. But the one song that we, I think we should talk about, too, is Victory. Okay. Because, man, like, this this song too is you know incredible, you know I mean you know it's it's just so much motivation in this song you know I will not admit defeat you know and it's just so like I say like inspiring and and it's just you know like and Rob Wright Rob Wright is so snide like I mean like these guys have a black humor that runs through all their songs and. Um, and I just love his attitude too. Where he's just like, you know, what are you gonna do? Lay down and die? Mm-hmm. No, I will not admit defeat. You know, well, victory. You know, it's almost like he's chanting this rather, or invoking it rather than singing it too. Right. Absolutely. It's almost. Yeah. It's like a war cry. It is. It's. It's just like a. You know.
push on push on you're you're right it's almost like you know it it, it it sounds like you see this is an interesting thing when rob wright would do his solo thing as mr wrong 
he would come out wearing a priest collar and he would come out in a priest robe. Mm-hmm. And so the song Victory is almost like somebody behind a pulpit, you know, kind of like giving giving a speech or giving a sermon, you know, and it, it's just I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, I, I had it on and I was, you know, folding laundry or whatever and listening. And, and definitely there are parts when you, my ears just kind of went, whoa, that's real. That's uh, like you said, it's almost like preaching. It's It's definitely not. You know, they're not trying to passively sing to you about whatever generic bullshit that most most records talk about, right. you know, love or loss or drugs or whatever nonsense. Right. But what's funny with No Means No is that they don't have a definitive position in anything. And that's intentional. You know? Like they're talking about society, but they're not saying absolutely what's wrong. And they're not they're talking about politics, but they're not saying where they stand. You know, they're talking about struggle. But they're not exactly saying, you know, like what the situation is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, and the ambivalence is is kind of like, you know, the universal experience where where everyone can relate in some way or another to what they're singing about. You know, there's an understanding of the, uh, of the emotions. There's an understanding of, you know, the scenario, but it's not it's not anything that's definitively this or definitively that now. The one thing I have to say, too, is that with an album like this, you would figure, you know, how tight it sounds on vinyl. And uh, the recording process is just incredible with this. But you would think live, okay, how are they going to pull all this off? You mm-hmm. know, Because it, it really, really sounds overly technical and it sounds like a studio album and everything. But believe it or not, Eric, No Means No Live were... 200% better than anything that they ever recorded. And what, what do you think made them uh, better live than, than in the studio? Well, partially, this is, and again, like you, you, may, you may think it's kind of funny in me saying this, but it's kind of like with the Grateful Dead, where the Grateful Dead had played these songs so many times, they knew these songs inside and out, that they were able to stretch them out live. They were able to incorporate new things into the songs. They were able to go off on little tangents and journeys, you know, and then reel it all right back in again, you know, and everyone would just look at each other and knew where they were going or else, you know, they would improvise, you know, and it would still be amazing. I mean, like, I've seen No Means No uh, probably easily about uh, 12 or 13 times. And every time I saw them, it was them, but it was different. Mm-hmm. And every show was definitively different because, and they were playing a lot of times. They were playing the same songs, but you know, but once in a while they'd be like, "All right, you know, somebody Rob broke a bass string, so you know, John's gonna play drums, and you know, and Tom's gonna play guitar, and and it's just, and they just go off and do this thing. Well, well, Rob Wright would like string a bass, you know, like in a minute and a half. Or, or they would just decide, okay, like we're going to incorporate this into that. And, they, and the way that they would actually, you know, a lot of bands will, you know, like segue from one song into the next. But with No Means No, sometimes they would actually segue into a song in the middle of a song and then go back to the song. Yeah, that, that's a very, uh, what, like jazz performance. Oh, like, like you said, exactly. something like The Grateful Dead would do with kind of that free form. Right style i guess you'd say right and if you talk to rob wright and i've seen interviews with him where he's you know one of his primary influences was miles davis and miles davis and mingus 
And so you can you can see where these guys are coming from. And, you know, this is an interesting thing that, I mean, not to, you know, go ahead with the Poison Idea part yet, mm -hmm. but we see two definitively different bands. They're approaching, you know, music that's supposed to be fringe, you know? And, yeah. I mean, there's this whole bullshit mythology that, you know, punk rock was all about not being able to play and learning to play while you were doing it and all this shit, you know? Yeah. But... I think that with no means no, these guys, man, like they were just, you know, they were just your, your precision, you know, musicians. I mean, and having fun with it and just showing a different way. But I mean, this is to me, there's two definitive bands that came out of Canada that were game changers in, in, in terms of music for me. Okay. Okay. And I say it's no means no and Voivod. Okay, interesting. Because those two bands created their own sound. I mean, there's nobody that really distinctly sounds like No Means No. And there's nobody that distinctly sounds like Voivod. There might be today, but when these guys, well, when these two bands started and when they started to develop doing what they did, the thing that everyone that attracted everyone to them was that they were just so fucking original. Well, they, they definitely uh, captured, I th think, something of that era. The, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, Black Flag, and I think at the, at the at the point where No Means No kind of picks up in punk rock is the point where Black Flag was also kind of becoming more of a jazzy, improv-y, prog rock kind of kind of a thing. And I think they they maybe uh, slid right in there, like I said, with some of those other like post punk bands and bands like Faith No More. To uh, to play with that jazz and that that kind of as you said circus vibe, right? And I I think that uh, you're right that that they I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like this. I've heard stuff that's in maybe the ballpark, but not but not with the point of view and uh, kind of the maybe even the accessibility. I mean, I I'd mentioned earlier that this isn't you know that this isn't something that somebody who's been listening to you know, power pop singles or whatever for the last 10 years is going to, going to have an entrance to, but I think somebody who is into, uh, you know, free form jazz or whatever, uh, might find this more accessible than some of the, the previous more noisy, uh, slightly less accessible records that we have talked about. Like when we talked about cows or we talked about the right. flesh eaters. Sure. Sure. And I was going to say one thing though, is that, you know, as much as, you know, we talked about the, the jazz element, and there's a funk element into this, too, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, I mean, I would I would put No Means No closer to, like, Funkadelic, in a way, the way the bass is. But, um, but again, I don't want to say that this is like that, you know, that frat boy, early 90s funk punk, like that whittly, 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 you know, yeah, like... No. Uh, no, this is none of that. I mean, and, you know, and... This is, it's, it's interesting because I, I laid No Means No on a friend of mine who was big on Primus, and, mm -hmm. and it stuck to him. And he was just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I, I love this. This is great, man. Like, and I said, well, you realize this is kind of before Primus, right? He's like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And um, it's interesting, though. Like, it, it's just how this album was kind of a gateway, like I said earlier, to a lot of people that I, I would never have anticipated to enjoy this kind of stuff. 
I just I would just put this on and all of a sudden it would just be like a dog whistle in the record store where some people would come up, oh man, this is what is this? You know, like wow, you know, like and I was just surprised how except uh, you know how a lot of people were attracted to uh, this album in particular. Cool, cool. I, I I will say that I enjoyed it and I would definitely recommend it for people who want to check out something that's outside of their wheelhouse and something that's a, a little bit different. Right, and grab grab wrong while you're at it. The album after this, and also uh, the day everything became nothing. The EP before this as well. So uh, after those those records, you get into what the '90s and and uh, what kind of went on with the band after after 1990? Well, Andy Kerr left the band after Wrong, and then it was basically Tom Holliston took the guitar. Rob Wright wrote the lyrics afterwards, and it was still Rob and John and Tom. And they continue to this day, and I think the last thing that they put out was, I think it was in 2008, if I, no, 2006, I'm sorry, All Roads Lead to Osfart. Was the last album that uh, there's a place in Germany called Osfart, and they thought it was hilarious, so they put out when they tour through Europe. And uh, there's they're actually on the album cover. There's the sign. It says "All Roads Lead to Osfart." But um, they've actually, and this this is another thing too. When I was talking about uh, the uh, influence of Miles Davis, they actually did put out uh, a cover. Of uh, a Miles song. What was it here? I'm trying to remember now. That they that they put out here. It was Bitches Brew. They did a cover okay. of that. And um, it was so funny. And, and they've also done covers of the Ramones. They've, you know, they, you can see where these guys are a mixture. Like, I mean, this is what's interesting about No Means. The last thing I want to say is that, you know, they have... The, you can see their influence of the punchiness of the Ramones and the simple, you know, one, two, three, four, straight ahead, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's that incorporated, like I say, with like John McLaughlin and Mingus and Miles. So it's like that, you know, jumpy pogo punk mixed with jazz. And that's the best way I, I guess I can I can explain No Means No. And also too with the with the numerous Jello Biafra projects, they were they they put out a great album too in '91. I was gonna say that the sky is falling and I want my mommy. <laughs> and uh, and Jello did that one with No Means. And then he did an album with DOA as well. So those are like the two Canadian heavyweights that he worked with. Cool, cool. So let's uh, let's go ahead and transition then into yeah. um, Poison Idea.
so real, almost believe it. See, folks like sewage, how could you conceive it? Shake my hand, look me in the eye. Smile and think of ways I'll die. So this was my this was my pick, uh, Poison Idea were uh, American punk rock band from Portland, Oregon. They started in about 1980 and ended up dissolving about 93, but have been playing uh, you know, off and on since the late 90s. Uh, I'll be very forthright. I found this album because of the Crow soundtrack, where Pantera <coughs> covers the song "The Badge." So right. uh, that to me was kind of the gateway to Poison Idea. Right. The record's called Feel the Darkness, came out in 1990. Listening to it again, I, I picked this up probably at the end of the 90s sometime, uh, early 2000s. Um, listening to it again, I definitely heard a lot more. The band that jumped out at me as being influenced by this is Turbo Negro, which is a oh, yeah. Norwegian band that I'm a, a fairly big fan of, especially well, surprisingly, the, the early stuff. Surprisingly, they actually covered Poison Idea as well. Oh, Really, I was not even aware of that. And they actually covered a song off this album just to get away. Oh, that, now that makes sense. I know that I had heard that somewhere before. Yeah, I, yeah. I just hadn't put it together. Um, you know, I'm kind of spotty with the early Turbo Negro records. I think I've got... Ask not, Cobra? Yeah, well, I definitely got Ask Cobra and Apocalypse Dudes and a couple of records after that. But I think I, uh, the only one before that, I believe, is, uh, is it Never Came Tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Of course, like we're uh, we're starting off by by talking about totally different band than what we were originally talking about. But give me a second here, uh, Turbo Negro. Uh, I actually met the drummer once. He was a really cool guy. I hung out with him and, and his girlfriend at uh, a bar in Oslo back in 1999. And he we were we were talking about their their gay imagery, and and his girlfriend was like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, the, the women like it." And then he thought about it for a minute. It was like, "Yeah, okay, we uh, you know we." 
we whatever. It's it's a joke. Don't worry about it. So yeah, uh, never is forever. I'm sorry. That's the the early record of theirs that I have. Right. Never is forever. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, poison idea. Feel the darkness. Re-listening to this record now, I, I definitely hear this is definitely 1990. This is definitely Pacific Northwest. This is definitely hard rock, punk rock, metal, you know, mixed in a blender. You know, you've got guitar solos, you've got piano intro, you've got really gruff vocals, you've got songs about, about cops, the badges about cops, about fakeness, about all the kinds of stuff that you would uh, hear in that era. And, and right. almost this feels like if it had come out two years later, that they probably would have potentially been signed to a major label and potentially would have had a big hit off of this. I don't know what it would have been as far as songs go. Right. But, but um, definitely, you know, the, like two years later, three years later, people were looking for weird stuff like this. And the, the fact that uh, they broke up in 90, 93 and this came out in 90. Uh, you know, and they were from Portland. So, I mean, that's kind of Pacific, that's definitely Pacific Northwest. And they could have gotten lumped in with that whole Seattle thing that was going on. Poison Idea was basically Jerry A. Yeah. And Jerry and, you know, and basically uh, Tom Pig Champion, you know, Poison Idea was basically, you know, they were the two lead uh, instigators. And it was just, you know, uh, a rogues gallery of guys that played with them. But this was probably the definitive lineup for uh, Poison Idea. And, you know, where I, you know, not that I don't like this album. I do like this album very much. I think this album is, is absolutely fantastic. But I am more familiar with the earlier um, Poison Idea, like the Kings of Punk, mm-hmm. who were all the time, and the more, you know, uh, crustier, nastier Poison Idea. I mean... Um, just to go back for a little bit, a funny story is I used to work at a record store. and Right across the street, there was a Salvation Army. So I, I used to go over there once once in a while or on lunch break and see what they go through, go through the bins and see what they had. And they had this uh, bin of cassettes. And it was just like somebody's home cassettes that they had uh, given to the Sally Ann. So I was going through and I'm looking at this one. And on one side, it says Bad Brains. And on the other side, it says Poison Idea, right? And I'm like, okay. And then I actually take it over to the record store. And nobody's around. So I popped it in and played it. And it, they were actually demos. They weren't, they weren't any albums. They were the demos that these bands were putting out. And I'm listening to this Poison Idea stuff. And I'm going, whoa, Jesus. Like, this is just so quick. Like, I mean, it was just, you know... Like I at the time I was you know in the somewhat into speed metal and stuff like that and some of the, the uh, grindier stuff, but I I just couldn't believe like these guys just were like so uh, so tight but it just so so sloppy at the same time because like you know you look at bands like the Accused mm-hmm. or you know DRI and that kind of thing and there was the crossover thing in the mid eighties. That was really huge where, you know, a lot of the metal guys were getting into some of the faster punk and then the punks were getting into some of the metal like Metallica and all that shit. Well, anyway, um, that's when I first heard Poison Idea. And then I see these guys and Pig Champion easily had to be like 300 plus pounds. Oh, yeah. And you see this guy play 
and he he's make he makes a guitar look like a ukulele. I mean, <laughs> you know, but th there was something about Poison Idea too that you know there was uh, the one thing that always got me about this band was that do you know the Peace compilation? Uh, not it's not ringing a bell. I, I you know it's one of those things I might have come across but but not have heard or not know there by name. There was the the Peace Comp that was a legendary album that, that brought together so many different bands from around the world. And that was for a lot of us that really exposed us to uh, international punk and stuff. And there was a band from Japan that was called Jism, G-I-S-M. And there was a song called The Endless Blockade for the Pussyfooters. And you hear this song and these guys are going absolutely just nuts on it. And, you, and they really sound like they're lunatics. Like it really does sound like, you know, like somebody, somebody in an asylum recording music and singing over it. Cause it, you know, and, it, and they don't even know what they're singing over half the time. It just, it's just absolutely nuts. Well, that was the same feeling I got when I first heard poison idea was just that raw, like, you know, this is going to explode at any minute, man. Like, you know, we've got to put this on tape because if we don't, like, this is going to be it, you know? Yeah. And, and then I find out later on that Jism were actually a huge influence on Poison Idea. So it makes perfect sense now when you think about it. But anyway, let's get back to uh, the album Feel the Darkness. What's your initial take on this, Eric? My initial take is that... You know, okay, this is fast driving, gruff, hard rock punk. You know, in the in the uh, the mold of say Tad. You know, that was that was definitely a band I thought of while listening to this. Hmm. And then you know, good punchy short songs. Uh, then they definitely you know had the piano parts and kind of this very very lush orchestrated, per, not overproduced but like well produced elements hmm. that then made me feel like, whoa, this is kind of edging in towards you know, mainstream classic rock or heavy metal, you know, maybe, maybe that, that bridge that heavy metal kind of has to classical music just a little bit. And then I just started thinking about the, the Turbo Negro similarities. Just 
Let's talk about the cover of the album itself, which is somebody pointing a 45 at Tiny Tim's face. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what to make of that. Any ideas? <laughs> I think it's an inside joke. Okay. And I, uh, you know, and I think I think the funny thing is too is that you know also there's a lot of times where you know Poison Idea they've only done it one way and it's their way. And fuck everybody else. And I mean, like, you know, what you're going on about, about with uh, the classical element and the piano and all that, I think there's a funny thing that's interesting with this band. Whereas the early stuff was just like, like I say, like raw and just, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, a lot of people followed them through that. And then, but the thing was, is that these guys had some great songs and they had a real, you know, like, they could sing melodies, you know, like I yeah. mean, Jerry, Jerry can really sing. And I mean, these guys could really write songs. And so, you know, they got to a point where they're like, okay, we've done the noise. We've, we've done this. That's just an aspect of what we are. But then, you know, there was a lot of people that were, you know, calling these guys sellouts with this album, you know, and, uh, you know, that, uh, this is just a joke. You know, that these guys aren't serious about what they're doing, you know, and it's it's just a farce. And and then, to me, the album cover epitomizes that. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're thinking, oh, this is just a novelty, like Tiny Tim, right? And then with a 45 pointed at Tiny Tim, like, no, this is serious, man. Like, you know, it's as serious as a gun in the face, right, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I love, to tell you the truth, you know, Thinking back, listening to this album for the first time, you know, there were some bands that transitioned or tried to kind of, you know, how can I say, enhance what they were doing in different ways. And I love how they incorporate the piano at the beginning of Plastic Bomb, you know, and I just I just love that how, you know, you you're, you know, it's like they're kind of being snide with the elegance, you know? Yeah. And they're just they're just dropping this you know, little piano intro in, and all of a sudden, with those drums and that guitar riff hits, and you know there's going to be a pit in about two seconds, you know, and that's it. I mean, you know, I love these guys because they they've always done it on their own terms, and I mean, this is how, like I said earlier, with no means no, I think that Poison Idea are a band who are definitive, like definitively unique. Because, yeah, they were a part of the hardcore scene, you know, and I mean, them with negative approach, and I mean, you know, Slapshot and a lot of the other original hardcore bands. But to me, Poison Idea were their own entity. And and, and, and these guys, too, we have to say this, is that a lot of people thought that, you know, these guys really couldn't even scratch their ass, let alone pick up a guitar, because, mm-hmm. I mean, for being notorious alcoholics... I mean, you know, anywhere else you have Alcoholics Anonymous, but with Poison Idea, it was Alcoholics Unanimous. It's funny you would say that because the first time I ever came across a reference to uh, Pig Champion was in the book Job Jumper by 
Phil Irwin. Phil Irwin, yeah, yeah. The Whiskey Rebel, who yeah. has a band called Alcoholics Unanimous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he's better known for uh, his band Rancid Vat, which was also part of the Portland scene during the, the 80s into the 90s. Right. And uh, he had a great story about going with Pig Champion to some record store after he had cashed a royalty check and just like blowing like a couple hundred bucks on records and video games and stuff. Right. So and, and then that was that was one of my early exposures to to this band without even hearing the music. Right. Uh, just him talking about this huge guy who drank way too much, ate way too much, you know, played video games, but then would just sit there on his couch with his guitar and just just kick it out, the you know, in, in a way that most people wouldn't believe. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, Tom was a definitive man. Like, he was an amazing guitar player. That guy could shred like nobody's business. You know, he was incredible. And, you know, the thing is, too, with Poison Idea is, you know, yeah, you, you can say that, uh, you know, punk rock was always about the fuck you attitude. Mm-hmm. But with these guys, they took it a step beyond. I mean, like, for example, putting out albums like, you know, Record Collectors Are Pretentious Assholes, you know, like the, <laughs> yes. the, the EP. And then you've got the notorious Ian Mackay. Have you ever seen that? I have not. It's actually what they did was they've they've got a shot on an album cover of uh, some guy with his backside with his asshole stretched open, and the album's called Ian McKay. Nice. Yeah. So I mean, you know, these guys weren't, you know, they weren't exactly uh, mincing words. <laughs> <laughs> they had some record that was a uh, that was oh Darby Crash rides again the early right. years. Right. Right. And the Kings of Punk album with Jerry with uh, Kings of Punk carved into his stomach. The first album that they put out. I mean, yeah, these guys had a real gnarliness to them that was, uh, it it wasn't it wasn't mass marketed. I mean, this was this was legitimately <laughs> who these guys were. I mean, and and I would say that to me, this music does take a direct nod from the Germs, from from more almost definitely more of a nihilistic bent instead of you know a melodic. I would say that these guys, uh, how can I say, melodic nihilism. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. When I was young and when I fight about things, I saw kid who tells another kid is a dead kid. It's a sad sight, fucking day. Things have changed another way. Have to watch what you say.
So uh, we're getting on towards about an hour here. So let's uh, let's head towards wrapping this up. Sure. Um, do you have any final thoughts about about Poison Idea and this record in particular? Do you think that this would be a good entrance point for uh, for people who haven't heard them? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, because there's so many killer tracks on this album. I mean, just to get away, I love you know, taken by surprise. I love Allen's on fire. It's a fucking killer. I mean, and, and here's an interesting thing too: is uh, do you know with the badge? There's a sample on that. Do you know where it's from? Stuck on this. Oh, 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 oh. There's actually, isn't there's two samples, and the first one is from the movie Joe with, no, wait a minute. The first one is Peter Boyle and Taxi Driver. Yep. And the last one, I, I know that I, I, I recognize it. I just can't place it. The last one is actually from Taxi Driver as okay. well because it's the end of the film when the guy yeah, comes yeah. up the stairs and Travis blows his hand off. And the guy's coming up, I'll kill you, yep. I'll fucking kill you. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's Taxi Driver. And for those who don't know, Joe was a, a early 70s film with Peter Boyle where he was kind of a, a blue-collar guy who was pissed off at all the hippies right. and, and in some ways had ties thematically to, to Taxi Driver, which most people are going to know right. about. And, you know, like this album as well, and I, I would say that the entire lineup of, uh, of Poison Idea albums, they, it's, they still stand today. Yeah, they, They're still just as potent as they ever were. And we also, before we, we wrap this up, we have to uh, also state that uh, Poison Idea are still around. Yep. And, and they just put on an album uh, last year, Confuse and Conquer. And they're still touring. And Jerry's still giving them hell. As far as what's going on uh, the next couple of months, I have some ideas for the June, uh, the June episode, but I don't have anything set in stone. So I would say follow the uh, Love That Album Facebook page. Uh, I do know that uh, I did record a uh, compilation edition for the month of May that I'm not sure if that's going to come out before or after this episode, but that is me talking about the Paisley Underground scene of the early 80s along with some cowpunk stuff. And so if that's your thing, check that out. And thank you, Tim, for uh, for helping out with this one. Uh, it's always great talking to you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, you, know, you try to uh, check some of this stuff out, I think you'll be greatly rewarded. Yeah, me too. I, th I think uh, one of the reasons that, that I try to pick albums that are going to be uh, stuff that people haven't heard is to kind of push it a little bit as far as getting out of the uh, the wheelhouse of the, the kind of classic rock 70s stuff, country stuff and whatnot. So uh, watch the Facebook page, uh, check out some good records and be good yeah, to each thanks other. Thanks for listening. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 